continuing a series through the book of Romans, which is a letter that Paul wrote to Christians in the city of Rome, hence the name Romans. So page 944, and we'll be in Romans 8, verses 12 through 17. Before we look at that scripture together, I just want to set up what the scripture is addressing by telling you a story about something that happened actually hundreds of years before Jesus was born. There were rival kings in an ancient kingdom. One king was a terrible, evil, wicked king. Um, He was defeated by the good king. So he was killed. uh, And in the process of the battles that took place, the wicked king's son was killed. And the wicked king's grandson escaped. But while he was escaping from one of the houses that they were in, he was dropped by his nurse. His feet were mangled. um, And he then lived the rest of his life crippled, unable to work to take care of himself, having to live dependent on other people. So he was an orphan. Uh, He was an orphan who was uh, living in hiding, uh, afraid of the new king coming to kill him. Uh, And I think that story is a picture of how we live apart from Christ. The Bible says that we are all spiritual orphans, that we have been a part of a rival kingdom. We've been a part of a rebellion fighting against God as the true king of the universe that we are spiritually crippled, that we spiritually lack ability, that we spiritually are all on our own, that we've served the wrong side, and now we're on the outside. And so the text addresses this need that we have. Spiritually, we're all on our own. Spiritually, we're on the wrong side. And what Romans has been telling us addresses that spiritual issue that we all have. So let's look at it together. And I, I want to pick up a couple of verses more than, than what we have on the screen. So I'm going to start in verse 10. And we'll read Romans 8, 10 through 18 to kind of get a little more of the context around the section here. So Romans 8, 10 says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I'm going to pray now and ask ask God to help us. Uh, We also believe not only do we want to learn from God's word, but it's a supernatural act and we need his help. So if you'll bow with me, I'm going to pray and ask God to help us to learn this morning. God, we pray that you would meet us here, that your spirit would fill us and give us a tenderness towards your word and towards you so that we would be listeners and learners. We ask that you would shape us and teach us, that we would listen and understand, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've titled the sermon this morning, Sons of God, and it all kind of orbits around the central claim in the middle of the section that we just read that God has adopted us into his family, that we were a part of this rival kingdom, that we were orphans, that we were all 
on our own, trying to fight and scrap to eke out a living by ourselves, even though, like the story I told at the beginning, we're, we're crippled, we're alone, we're outsiders. God took our sin, placed it on Jesus, gives us Jesus' righteousness, and through that transaction, by faith, we can be children of God. By faith in what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross, through his death and through his resurrection, Scripture says that we are now one with Christ. Union with Christ is a word we used several weeks ago. All that is ours was taken. The burden was borne by Christ. And all that is Christ's is given to us. The, the word at the end of this passage we just read was heirs, right? We inherit Jesus and all that he has as king of the universe. We belong to him now. We're in his family. We're sons of God, children of God. A couple of different phrases that are used in the text, sons of God and children of God. I just want to clarify, um, one is a kind of more gender neutral term, just children. The other is gender specific, and it's actually important, right? As modern people, we, we are sensitive to that often. And I just want to clarify, you know, just like a few weeks ago, we learned that we're the bride of Christ. And for guys, we're like, oh, I don't know if I want to be a, a bride of anybody, right? Um, and I said, you know, just deal with it, right? Because women have to deal with this all the time. So now we're on that uh, phrase this week that, that women might sound kind of confusing to you. And the way I would phrase it is this. This is all orbiting around the idea of a prince inheriting a kingdom, right? So we don't want to lose that uh, original intent from a literary standpoint of this is talking about inheritance. And so uh, ladies, you are sons of God by faith in Christ in the same inheritance sense, right? You inherit everything that the king of the universe has as sons of God. And me and maybe some of you other guys, you're not firstborn sons, right? In that system, I wouldn't have inherited. I'm a secondborn son. But I'm also this same firstborn inheriting son in Christ. And so that's what it means when we talk about sons of God. We're his children, but even more than that, we are heirs. So what we're going to see in this text is it's all revolving around that reality. God's made us his children, his heirs, his sons, and because of that, we live differently. So because of what Jesus has done for us, we live in a new way. We live in a new way. And the first thing that we're going to key on is that we are to fight like sons. Because we're sons of God, we are to fight like sons. Now, we're a community that knows all about fighting, right? Most of you are trained warriors. We live right by Fort Hood. And so you're very, very familiar with fighting, but often you can think too much about the fight that you're involved in overseas and forget the spiritual fight. So I just want to remind us that we're involved in a spiritual battle, a spiritual fight. Specifically here, we are to fight like sons, and he means we're to fight sin in our own life. And one thing that I think is helpful to clarify is this is not really a call to fight your neighbor's sin or your spouse's sin or your friend's sin. This is a call to fight your sin, to look internally and deal with what is uh, rotting in your own life. So let's look again at verses 12 and 13. Verses 12 and 13 says, So then, brothers, we are debtors. And I just want to pause right there for that word. Uh, some of your translations say uh, obligated or obligation. Do you see that in some of the translations? The word can mean any, either thing, right? It can also be translated as owe, right? Do you owe anything? And he's saying, okay, we're not debtors to the flesh. We're not obligated to the flesh. We don't owe anything to the flesh. We're debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. So setting up this, this contrast that he's been hitting again and again in Romans, you now belong to Jesus. You don't belong to the flesh anymore. So you might have habits, right? You might have these old memories of being 
married to that old abusive spouse, we sing, you're not married to that spouse anymore. That spouse is dead. It's gone. You don't owe them anything. You are now a debtor to the Spirit. You're obligated now to Jesus, not to your flesh, not to those old impulses. So therefore, verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There's a lot packed in there. The first thing I want to say is um, you will die is a little confusing for us because uh, we all in this physical world are dying. Um, You know, I've been whining about hurting my ankle and it is getting better, but it's just a symptom of a dying body, right? We're all in bodies that are affected by varying rates and varying Uh, realities of brokenness, of disease. We're all physically dying, but we can begin now to be a part of the spiritual eternal life that we will have forever with Jesus. As we get through the rest of Romans 8, it'll talk about that that glorious future we look forward to of having uh, new bodies, of being made new, but this is on the other side of, of physical death. But there's a sense in which that, that spiritual life can begin taking root now. And so when we sin, it doesn't cause us to die in the sense of, and now you're going to die when you're 100 years old, you're going to get sick and die. Well, that's going to happen to all of us. What he's saying is you're bringing spiritual death into your life. You're, you're tearing yourself apart. There's, there's a reality to the brokenness of sin and what it does to you. So he's saying if you keep following that path, it's going to keep destroying you. We need, we need to be aware of that. We can't just play around with it. We need to take it seriously. John Piper talks about it as a wartime mentality. So my question for you is, do you have a wartime mentality? Or do you think, no, the the fight is just the fight over there, right? The fight is the fight overseas that I'm, I'm training for at Fort Hood. There's no fight here. Well, no, Paul says there's a fight here. There's a fight in your own heart. There are sins in your heart that want to destroy you, that want to kill you. And Paul is asking us to take it very seriously. It's one of the biggest issues that I see as I counsel people, encourage people, is they just don't really take sin very seriously. We tend to, and I would put myself in this boat too, we we tend to think of sin in terms of, well, once it starts causing problems, then maybe I'll deal with it. Or I just need to manage it so it doesn't get out of control. And what Paul is saying here is, no, you need to kill it. You need to fight it. You need to see that its desire is to destroy you, and you need to go after it aggressively. Matt Chandler uses the example of, you know, flashing on and off a light switch, and there's a crackling noise, and the lights aren't working. That's the time to call the electrician, right? You don't wait until later. You don't just manage it, and then your house burns down. This is a very sensitive issue. My wife is uh, groaning up front because we've had two house fires, right? So it's real. It can really happen. Sin is the same way. Sin is the same way. You don't play around with it. You don't just manage it. You, You destroy it. You destroy it by the Spirit, not in your own flesh, not in your own strength, but you go after it. You kill it. You fight it. I I had a friend share a story the other day, and I I can't remember if he was saying this about himself or about a brother. I'll just blame it on his brother so I can keep thinking well of my friend. But he said he he and his brother loved to collect snakes, and his brother one time found, trapped a coral snake. I grabbed a picture here of a coral snake, uh, red and yellow, kill a fellow, right? You know that one? Maybe not, just if you see a snake like that, run, okay? I mean, basically, if you just see a snake, run, period. It doesn't really matter what it looks like. But these are especially poisonous and can kill you. And he knew it, but he collected it, thinking he could 
keep it as a pet, manage it. I, I don't know what he was thinking. And then he put it in the family pool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so many gasps. Y'all are more awake. Morning service is like, oh, whatever. Um, y'all are awake. Thank you. Yeah, it's crazy. He put it in the family pool. How do you think his mom felt about that? She was pretty ticked, right? Um, young boys aren't always the smartest, but this was, this was especially stupid. And the illustration is that, that sin wants to kill us. A coral snake is all about killing you, okay? Diamondback rattlesnake is all about killing you. Sin is the same way. Peter talks about Satan himself, the devil, in, in this language in 1 Peter 5, 8. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. That sounds like orders for a soldier, right? Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. There's a real spiritual battle that we are engaged in. If you think sin is not that big of a deal and it's something that you can just manage and it's only a problem when it embarrasses you or it's only a problem when people know about it, you're misunderstanding the nature of sin. It will destroy you. It is a heart problem and it is trying to kill you. And so Paul is asking us to recognize the seriousness of it and that when we just toy with sin in our life and we just play with it, it is killing us. There's a destructive process taking part in our soul. And so what does he say to do? He says to fight it. He says to put it to death. John Owen is an old Puritan. He's the most famous uh, writer on the subject of killing sin or fighting sin. He wrote a book. Most people refer to it as uh, mortification or the mortification of sin. He was a Puritan, though, and Puritans would often give really weird, long titles to things. So I'm just going to read that to you. I've got it here in actual print, if you can see in old-fashioned letters here. And here's the full title, Of the Mortification of Sin in Believers. Mortification means putting something to death, right? Of the Mortification of Sin in Believers, the necessity, nature, and means of it, with the resolution of sundry cases of conscience, thereunto belonging. That's the full title. So most people just call it mortification of sin. Today, we use the word mortification to mean like, oh, I'm mortified, right? Like I'm embarrassed. Uh, it means death. That's kind of why we say, I'm so embarrassed, like I want to die, is I think kind of where that came from. But we forget what it really means, and it means death. And what John Owen, this ancient Puritan, is calling us to is to kill sin. And he has a famous phrase that goes like this, so you can kind of get the, the nugget of his whole book. It's, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. That's what Owen is so famous for saying. I'll read a little bit of a longer quote here in context. He says, do you mortify? What he means by that is you must mortify. Puritans spoke like Yoda. (laughs) Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. So if you like Shakespeare or you like Yoda, grab the book. It's really good. Um, But all joking aside, it is, it is helpful to understand, and there's a couple of things that, that Owen teaches us that I think this passage is saying. Basically, he's just trying to teach this same passage we're in. He's saying, number one, take it seriously and go after it. Kill the sin in your life. Don't just play with it. Don't just turn the coral snake loose in your pool, but kill it. And that's what he wants us to understand. Be active. Don't be passive. Go after it aggressively. Fight it 
aggressively. Another thing that Owen teaches us that I think is helpful to think about, and I think fits biblically with the context of Romans and the broader context of the New Testament, is we don't, all, we don't just fight offensively, right, aggressively killing the sin, going after it. We also fight, in a sense, defensively in that we develop virtue in our life. And so what this could look like is some of you are putting away addictions in your life, and you don't want to just put away an addiction and then you have nowhere to go, and you're just sitting there, waiting around and trying not to sin, right? But you would develop new patterns, new habits in your life. You would develop practices of serving others for the sake of the gospel, to help them, to to love them, right? So develop new virtues and new habits to replace the old virtues. And Owen teaches about it like a garden, right? So in a garden, you're, you're pulling up the weeds, right? It's springtime, we've had a lot of rain, probably y'all's yard, like our yard, you're seeing weeds pop up, right? Well, there's two things that go on there. You want to kill the weeds and you want to feed the other plants. You want to water them. You want to help them to grow. So you kill the weeds so they don't choke out the good stuff, but then you also grow the good stuff so it can help choke out the weeds. It's a both and. So develop virtue in your life. If you struggle with being a condemning, harsh person with your words, not only do you say no and stop doing that, but you begin to develop new patterns of speaking, begin to develop new habits, begin to develop the ability in Christ to see God's grace at work in people and to note it and to name it and to encourage them with your words instead of always tearing down and condemning. So so build new and good and beautiful things in this fight as well as fighting the evil, fighting the bad. And then I also just want to talk for just a second about this by the Spirit thing, right? So the rest of our text, the rest of our sermon will go into more detail, but I thought John Piper had a helpful quote on the subject of fighting um, by the Spirit. He says it this way, when temptation comes alongside a very powerful and resolute no, right? He's saying, so alongside just saying no, that's the beginning when temptation comes, alongside that no, look to a word from God, especially a word that promises he will be more for us and do more for us than what this sin promises. And if you believe him, Piper says that, that's where the main battle is. If you believe him, you will sever the root of sin. So there's always just the practical no, right? If you get in trouble on the computer, unplug the computer, right? Like if you're drinking too much, don't go to that bar anymore. They're, they're just simple things you, you change, right? Simple physical things you, you avoid, speed bumps you put into your life. But you've got to deal with the root as well. So alongside the no, along the side, the I'm not going to do that anymore. Hey, friend, can you help me not do that anymore? There's also the, what am I going to believe? Am I going to believe that God is really better than the sin? Am I going to believe that the riches that Jesus has for me in the gospel are better than the sin that I keep running back to? So you've got to deal with it. As he says, sever it at the heart. That's what it means to deal with it by the Spirit, to put sin to death by the Spirit. The next thing that we see is that we should cry like sons. And I think this is going to get at a little more of this concept of depending on the Spirit, minding the things of the Spirit, setting our minds on what the Spirit is about. Last week we said the Spirit is all about showing you this adoption that you have in Christ. The Spirit's all about showing you that you belong to Jesus, that Jesus loves you, that he's made you a part of his family because of his grace, not because of anything you did on your own, but because of his kindness to us in Christ. And so we see this uh, spelled out in verses 14 and verses 16, that we should cry like sons. It says in verse 14, 
For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit of God? Well, it can look like something very mature, right? We're led by the Spirit of God to love people, to honor people, but we're also, I said a couple of weeks ago, led by the Spirit of God to just trust Jesus, to trust that Jesus has paid for your sin, to, to believe him, to know that that's true and that your sin can't save you, but Jesus can. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 